Welcome everybody to Martinis with Scott, a show about winning momentum in business and in life. Today we're going to have a great show. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're doing a case study on, an interim case study on Roofers World, uh, Redbox Hardware Inc., which owns the brand uh, Roofers World. Roofers World, you can look them up at, uh, at roofersworld.com. And uh, this company is a uh, privately owned by me. Um, Ottawa-based, Ottawa, Canada-based company that specializes in innovative roofing tools, uh, fall protection products, systems designed to satisfy the needs of the roofing industry in Canada. In the United States, our two marquee products would be uh, the ladder mount, which is designed to sit on a uh, gutter. You put it up with this pole here, pole handle there, uh, sits on a gutter and it stabilizes the top of the ladder and protects the gutters from being crushed. Uh, and the second tool would be 25 year now, the original Red Ripper, which is a shovel handle with a metal, uh, uh, a metal head. As you see there, the, it's upside down on my screen. Hopefully you can see it. Nope. Anyways, the original Red Ripper, uh, the best pro tools in the roofing business. This ladder mount, if you have a ladder and a gutter, you need to own one of these things. It's a terrific uh, product and we have the IP the patents on it you can't get it anywhere else so i took over roofers world uh last may or june i stepped in as a president i've been financing it for a long time before that but uh things weren't going well the company needed to turn around as i said I stepped in last may and it's been uh, it's been a terrific experience things are going well since then our supply chain has been entirely uh, rebuilt and is working. Our fill rates have gone to 100%. If you order a product today, we're probably shipping it this afternoon. Uh, and that's from fill rates of pretty much zero uh, by the time I took over. Our contribution margin, our margins are up. Our overhead is down. Uh, revenue's been pretty good. So on a whole, we're now, whereas we lost money forever, we're now breaking even, making a little bit of money pre-COVID um, and we're surviving through COVID uh, just fine. In general, we're feeling pretty good about the company, uh, Roofers World, and its direction uh, at this time. And you know, and the culture and the feeling within the company is just night and day from what it used to be. That whole, uh, which that whole feeling of being lost, of being disoriented, of you know, not seeing a way out, a light at the end of the tunnel. That's all gone. All gone. Things are lighter. They're more fun. Uh, the people are excited and they're happy to be at work and uh, it's just a whole different change of attitude and of culture and of stress levels and of fun levels all to the positive and not because we were where we are it's not because we are where we want to be in an absolute sense you know we're not rich and famous we're not making a bunch of money yet I mean we're just hitting break even and starting to make a little bit of money but it's the direction Things are getting better every day. And as I tell you all the time, it's about momentum. Where you're going, the direction you're heading is far more important than where you are. All right, and, and Rufus World is a great example of that. So in this show, we discuss some of uh, my diagnostic uh, process for underperforming businesses, my approach to profit, contribution margin, overheads, revenue in that order. Uh, we generally have some fun because Lucy is a great guest to talk to. She's dynamic and uh, and she's always fun. She runs her own podcast, by the way. I don't know what it is, but maybe we can get that in the notes if Lucy sends me a link. 
so Lucy Quigley is the guest, is my guest, Executive Vice President of Roofers World. Lucy joined Roofers in 2018, I believe, as a marketing manager, and I made her uh, EVP, Executive Vice President, in May 2019 when I took over. We cleaned house a little bit and um, revamped the management team, uh, largely under Lucy's uh, leadership on the ground in Ottawa. And that's been a terrific move uh, so far. Lucy has experience in uh, marketing, not only at Roofers, but in uh, hardware retail, uh, food services. Uh, she has an entrepreneurial, mind, uh, entrepreneurial mindset. And because of that, she owned her own marketing agency with her husband for five years, which they sold, uh, I believe, around uh, 99, 2000, somewhere in there. In the notes here, it says before the tech bubble burst. That would have been 2001. Uh, Lucy's trained in Six Sigma uh, techniques for uh, techniques and tools for process improvement. She's trained to the black belt level. And she didn't tell me this, but I note that she volunteers to spend a great deal of her time as an animal rescue worker, worker rescuing sick and injured animals and getting them the help that they need. Enough of the introductions. Enjoy the show. We're going to do a couple of follow-ups on... Um, on the Roofers World case study. I think it's good to bring into the story as we go along. We have challenges that we're facing still, uh, COVID, getting our B2C model working. We set up an online store uh, during self-isolation here. Expanding into the US, we got all sorts of things and challenges that we need to deal with. And hopefully the plan here is to have you follow along with that. Enjoy the show. Uh, please subscribe, Martinis with Scott. We're on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Hey, Lucy, how are you? Good to see you. I'm great, Scott. How are you? I'm very well. Looks like you're sitting in the uh, Roofers World office with a ladder mount behind you and a red ripper. I am. I ventured into the office today. The, the guys left so that I am respecting social distancing. But yes, I am in Roofers World HQ today. So you you shut down manufacturing for the show, is what you're saying. You threw no. all the guys out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never do that. <laughs> All right. We well, cheers to you. I don't know gone. if you're uh, having a drink or what you're up. Oh, look at you with your red wine. Definitely. I ran out of olives, so I'm just on a straight glass of vodka at this point. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. I have a Wolf Glass Yellow Label today. Ah, very good. Very good. Uh, so you're in Ottawa, and uh, that's where Roofers World is headquartered. And that's what we're going to talk about today is Roofers World. Uh, the business that you operate from your uh, lofty chair of uh, EVP. But before we get into that, um, why don't you give us just two minutes on your background so, so the listeners know where you're coming from and how you got yourself into this position. Okay. So my background is mainly in marketing. However, I am also trained in Six, Six Sigma. I'm trained at the black belt level and certified at the green belt level. I do also bring an entre entrepreneurial mindset to the business because I did uh, own and operate a design agency with my husband for five years here in Ottawa prior to the high-tech bubble burst in 2001. Um, so I, I have a very diverse background. I originally joined Roofers World in uh, January of 2018 in a marketing capacity. 
and then uh, transitioned to a new role uh, early last year. Great. And so the Martinis with Scott channel, which you are also a podcaster, so you've been following Martinis with Scott and its evolution a little bit, but you know, a couple of the themes of my career and hopefully of this show are that uh, momentum is everything in business. Uh, so it's not ab the absolute where you are today or absolutely where you want to be tomorrow or three years from now, but the direction that you're heading changes everything, right? Um, and so that's one thing. Another theme is that that complete feeling of being lost and disorientation and not even knowing which way to go and there being no hope. There's a way out of that and that there's a methodology, a thought process, a science as much as an art to turnarounds. And if you think about those three themes, uh, Roofers World, uh, which is the brand, it's owned by Redbox Hardware. So when we, if in this show we talk about Roofers and Redbox, they're interchangeable to us. Uh, but the brand is Roofers World. Roofers World is such an amazing case study on those three themes, direction, uh, disorientation and a methodology for executing a turnaround. Do you make some sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. All right. So with that in mind, so that's where we're going to go today uh, in this conversation. At least that's where we'll try to go. Who knows? Um, tell us a bit about Redbox slash uh, Roofers World, the brand. So uh, Roofers World uh, is a wholesale manufacturing company with two signature products. Uh, they actually are both over my shoulders. We have the ladder mount, which is the yellow device, which uh, was originally uh, started selling in 2012. And that is a device that you put into your gutter to prevent your ladder from slipping. And it also prevents your gutters from being damaged. And that was, that was engineered because there was, um, they identified a need in the marketplace because of ladder injuries. There's about 500,000 hospitalizations every year due to ladder injuries. And that's where this product stemmed from. And then the other product is the uh, red, it's a bizarre looking shovel, which is our Red Ripper. And what that is, is it's a shingle removal tool that removes your shingles, your staples, your nails, your screws, everything in one pass. And the reason why that product was designed and engineered was Traditionally, roofers were using a combination of pitchforks, claw hammers, whatever they can get their hands on to do their job. This replaces a lot of tools, so the roofer then has a lot of efficiency in what they're doing when it comes to removing asphalt single, shingles. Right, and both of those tools, <clears throat> excuse me, and the other um, harnesses and, and safety and uh, functional equipment that we would sell the roofers, uh, in terms of branding, pro quality, top of the market, this is the best that you can buy, right? I mean, that's the whole point of Rupert's World. Most definitely, both of them are, the ladder mount, there's pretty much, that's the only one available on the market. And uh, the Red Ripper, it's, it's definitely best in class. I believe it was pretty much the first one to market. It has been copied, but uh, nobody can match the quality that we offer in our products. Yeah, okay, so, you will recall that Martinis with Scott now is into its uh, second year. And you and I did this show before. And it feels yeah, like almost did. a year ago or nine months ago. <clears throat> and yeah. we threatened to do it um, every quarter as a follow-up <laughs> to the turnaround. 
And then the world conspired against us. For example, we were in Dallas in a cigar bar, waiting for a room, uh, <laughs> a meeting room in the back of the cigar place that was promised to me. And some members took the room. And, and uh, so we were going to have a I took you to a steakhouse and you're largely vegan and a cigar place and you don't <laughs> smoke. Um, and, uh, and then we didn't get to do a show. So we just sat there listening to music all night. And so we never got to follow up. And in any event, I think the, you know, the show, the show has evolved and it's gotten, you know, way more refined and it's gotten more viewership. So it's, it's a great opportunity just to go back and, and, and redo, but do it better and more fulsome. And we're a year into the turnaround now. Has it been a year? Almost, right? Nine, like 10 months, 11 months, something like that. Yeah, pretty much. We've, we sort of hit that, we're hitting that one year mark, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have better information. And, uh, and so let's get at it. I just wanted to put that, put that uh, caveat that we, you know, if you've heard this before, I, if you've been listening from day you. one, you've lost me. I think I'm good here. Oh, there we go. You're back. You're I back. You just saw it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We're all good now? Yep. All right. No worries. Anyways, so for my mother who's been listening from day one, this will be a bit of a repeat, but for everybody else, it's going to be new. And let's get at it. So remind me, when did you join Roofers World? Uh, January 2018. Okay. January 2018. So you spent all of 2018 there, which was a disaster, and half of 2019 there, which was a disaster. And then we started the turnaround. Is that fair to say? That's bang on. Okay, now I'm gonna want you to describe what you saw at Roofers World for that year and a half. But before you do, I'm gonna give some numbers out to people that you probably don't even know these numbers. Um, <clears throat> because I talk about a, a formula for how you should approach making more money. Number one is, what number one is, is so it's contribution margin, overhead and revenue in that order. Okay, so it's not, we need to sell more which you will recall from 2018 was all you ever heard is we need to sell more. It's the other way around. Margin, overhead, revenue is how you need to think about things. Our contribution margin historically before we started the turnaround was running about 34%. And I won't get into the details of for everybody of the, the nuance of contribution margin, but basically it's your revenue uh, minus your variable costs, which would be direct materials, freight, direct labor, uh, sales commissions, everything that's variable equals your contribution margin in dollars. And if you divide that by your revenue, you get a percentage. <clears throat> I'm not giving any dollars out today, but for a flavor, 34%, which is not awesome, but not terrible, 34%. Our overhead was 80% of our revenue historically. Okay. Yeah. Now you wouldn't normally measure fixed costs by a percentage of revenue. It's sort of half doesn't make sense. But if you figure out that for every $100 you sell, you have $34 left over. That's your contribution margin. And then you had $80 of fixed costs, right? So it's pretty easy to see where your problem lies, mathematical, from a profit. Yeah. So we had negative, um, so we, had, we were losing at an EBITDA level, and our, our EBITDA negative margin was about 25%, which is a hefty, hefty loss. Um, so those are some numbers. Why don't you talk about, you may not have known those numbers uh, in that sort of, it was before your time and financial information wasn't being disclosed to you. But what did you see in the past uh, Rupert's World that you saw as being problems and, and highlighting the trouble that this company was in? 
the major problems, it was a complete lack of management and planning. The management that was in place uh, didn't have a plan. Uh, they thought they did, but they didn't. Um, and that all, then, then that sort of cascaded into other problems with our vendors. We had poor vendor relations, relationships. Uh, they weren't being communicated with properly. They weren't being paid properly. Um, customer service was a shambles. Uh, orders would come in and they'd be handed off to the warehouse. And it was basically, you know, that's your problem now. There was no ownership in the process. And uh, customers weren't being told the truth. They were being told that their orders would ship next week, next week, next week, when really we had such a massive backlog of orders and a complete lack of inventory coming in. We just couldn't, we could not keep our head above water. So our vendors were mad at us, our customers were mad at us. Uh, and, you know, we were, we were barely treading water, barely. We were not treading water. We, we were sinking. <laughs> we were sinking. Right. I, was pretty sure, I was pretty sure that we were sinking quicker than, I'll say, the Titanic. But, um, yeah, it wasn't well, a good it's thing. Important. It's, a good... it's important because, again, one of my themes is momentum. I, I just believe in this with all of my soul. Um, and, you know, so there's three stages of momentum. You could be going down, you could be going up, or you could just be in limbo in between. And, you know, only one out of three of those is good. Um, but Roofer's World was not treading water in between if you were being fair about it. No. <laughs> right, with the numbers that I gave you. So I know you weren't the owner of the business and you weren't the president uh, or, you know, EVP on the ground running the place. But what was your sense of that as an employee um, in terms of this concept of being disoriented and not knowing where to go and there's no light at the end of the tunnel and this is just a mess and we'll never be able to fix it. I don't want it to put was, words in your mouth, but that, but that's the feeling people have in that situation. Definitely. I mean, anytime that you, you lack in management and you lack in any plan and process, what that does, yeah. it creates the environment of chaos. And as an employee, you're, you're constantly in, in fear of, am I going to have a job tomorrow? And that's, and the stress that's of firefighting. Stress. Yeah, con constantly. And I mean, when you, when the existing management at the time wouldn't communicate with customers, I was then the front person that was taking the heat for everything. And that's not a, that's not a pleasant environment to be in. And when it you're, puts you in a position where you're trying not to lie, but you're probably going to be wrong. Oh, I knew I was wrong. I knew <laughs> yeah. I was wrong. Um, but it, you know, it's a really difficult position to be put in where, you know, you're being, thrown to the wolves and you have no confidence or information that you're ever going to be able to deliver on these orders that customers have entrusted in you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I had in my notes, uh, fill rates. What were our fill rates? Zero? 10%? Like I, I know there's no math on that. Did you have a negative fill rate? <laughs> <laughs> we were just getting returns. <laughs> I mean, we, we had such, I can't even begin to communicate the, the backlog that we had. It was thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of backlogs that when we were, we were actually getting product in, it was a case of having to pick and choose who can we give what. 
And there was two months where I gave you a really hard time about that allocation. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> oh yeah. I don't All forget. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Fill rates, um, culture of lies. Yeah. Right. And incompetence. And you know, I always see that in trouble company and it's not even if we were to give people the benefit of the doubt, it's not even that they woke up in the morning and wanted to lie, but it's that whole slippery slope of, I mean, look at you, you're a great person. I know you well now. You don't ever want to lie to anybody, but you're put in a position where you know you're going to be wrong and someone could accuse you after the fact of having lied to them, right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So it's not like I'm calling someone a liar, even though in our situation, maybe we had a liar, but, but there's a culture of dishonesty um, and not, not being truthful. Okay. Um, I forgotten about, I had it in here, no follow up on sales leads and which is true, but also you highlighted a much more important point was a complete disconnect between the guy who was running the place, which was the sales side and production. Basically he'd sell a bunch of stuff, pat himself on the back and we had no hope for shipping it ever. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And I, I would actually say that what was happening at the time, it wasn't sales, it was order taking. Yes. You know, it was just waiting for an order to come in, hand a piece of paper to the warehouse, and then push the problem onto somebody else. There was no, there was nothing proactive in our sales process. Yeah. There was no customer service, there's no engagement. Right. And if anybody, unless anybody thinks there's no stress associated with this crap, you know, in every file I've ever done, every turnaround I've ever done for 30 years, um, if it's a fill rate issue, the salesperson gets burnt out and becomes a unproductive, sometimes not a good person, right? If it's a balance sheet issue, a financial issue, the first person to go is the controller <laughs> slash CFO, right? For the exact same reason. They're taking the heat, they're taking the stress. You know, the life of a good controller in a serious financial turnaround is about six months. Like it's the odd person that survives that level of stress with people folding them all the time. So <clears throat> this is serious stuff at a personal level. And if and in, the reason I keep harping on that is if you're stressed and you can't see any hope, you don't make good decisions or any decisions. No. Right. All right, so April-ish 2019, Scott decides enough is enough. I need to start turning this company around. So first thing you do is, because I was funding it at the time and obviously not happy with the direction. So the first thing you do in a turnaround is you stop the bleeding, right? And, and a temporary stopping of the bleeding. In other words, you just stop paying things. Uh, and you buy yourself like a week just to take a breath and yeah. try to figure out what you're gonna do. And then you move into the turnaround phase. And the turnaround phase, is I have a sort of a three-part plan for turnarounds. Is one is know where you want to be, say a year from now. Two is diagnose why you're not there already. And three is take action. All right. So the first thing I did was I called you, right? And I said, come to Toronto and let's meet in my office and let's go over what this company might look like in plan B a year from now. Do you, do you recall that? I do. I do. Yeah. And you had a plan in place, even though yeah. that wasn't your job, you showed up and you said, here's what I think you're going to ask. And here's my ideas. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had enough time to, to 
fully understand the problems with with the organization at the time and I, and I came prepared to speak to those those points right so correct me if I'm wrong but one of one of the things I hope I pushed you in direction of is uh, is if you're doing if you're doing a million dollars of revenue I'm not talking about this company just hypothetically um, if you're doing a million dollars of revenue in a troubled business what everybody does and what this company certainly did is they said you know man if we were just doing a million five this year and then three the next we're golden look at the math on that it's great what they don't do in a turnaround what you need to do is say what happens if I did 800,000 of revenue right what if I did 70 80 percent which is a no-brainer there's no way I can't do $800,000 of revenue based on a yeah. million dollars before. And again, this is just the hypothetical numbers and not roofers. Um, how do I make money at this 80% of my revenue? And that's sort of the analysis we did, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we sort of looked at different, different opportunities of, you know, what we had to do if we only met $800,000 in sales, what would that look like? Yeah. And how in would you look at that? In that hypothetical yeah. example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at that sort of 70, 80% level, and you literally went through customer by customer. Here's our big box accounts. There's the uh, Home Depots. Here's the ABCs. And the, you know, these are the people we should work with. These are the people we should not work with. And these are no brainers. Right. And we said, okay, yeah. now contribution margin, overheads, revenue. Well, we dealt with the revenue sort of last by saying, okay, it's going to go down. And it's going to be stable. Right. How do we make money? And, you know, it became pretty clear that um, we, we could increase our margin ultimately through uh, price increases. But that would be a problem because of fill rates and, and just general confidence. Uh, we could reduce the cost of our direct materials, which we buy out of China. Well, that's a problem because we haven't paid our suppliers. And we're, we have two main ones. We're in a lawsuit with one and the other one, you know, we're not doing a great job staying on top of them. Freight is a huge variable cost for this company. Uh, we had a bunch of storage charges. We had brokers that were unpaid. We had shipping companies that are unpaid. But those are the things we need to attack if we're going to improve our margins. And then overheads. That was the big low-hanging fruit for us in this company. We were built to do three times the revenue. At the end of the day, if you think about it, right. our fixed costs, as I said, were 80% of our revenue. So, you know, and, and the problem in changing the overhead is the entire organization was tied to one key employee who refused to change, was hoarding all information and wasn't telling the truth, to be blunt about it. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Okay. So you said if we could do this, that, and the other thing, reduce our overheads, um, we could start making money. Um, now, when I called you in for that meeting, did you believe that change could happen? If certain things took place, then I knew everything that I saw in this company, you know, our, our products, uh, the, some of the core people that we had here, I absolutely knew that if certain things took place, then we could turn this company around. I, de I did believe it. But it came down to, you know, a massive change of what was going to happen under this roof. And it also came down to, you know, your willingness and your enthusiasm 
to make certain changes and to support us through that process. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. Which had if to be a question for, for you, didn't it? Didn't it have to be what? a question for you? It should have been. Whether or not you would do the changes? Yeah, whether I would follow through. And Oh, for sure. I mean, at the time, right. we had had limited conversations and contact. You know, we, you know, you we, and I personally, very little. Ex right? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I was kind of some dude with the bank account coming out of nowhere and saying enough's yeah. enough. What do you think about this? Right. Yeah. And I called you specifically because, you know, there's maybe four people at the time in that organization that I could have called and yeah. you were the one that I knew least. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and, no, but that, that's exactly the reason, right? So we don't have a history. Yeah. I think, and you were kind of the newest to the organization, Definitely. right? And you okay. came from outside and I was thinking, man, she, she just, just must be on the hot seat there. And, and so, uh, I mean, that was my thinking. So let's just, uh, let's just talk to her and see what I learned. Yeah. Right? And what happens in every troubled company, the reason I got sort of taking us down this path is that the, the solution, there's a methodology to this, to this disorientation and how to get out of it, but it's never brain surgery. It's always a matter of belief, right? You have no backgrounds in turnaround, but you do have a background in entrepreneurialism. Um, you got some smarts, you know, you got your head on your shoulders, um, you're a hustler, right? But it's kind of common sense. So the, the issue is, how do you overcome these, what appear to be massive issues? And I think that's the value that I bring to you in this team of that is like, how do I deal with that lawsuit? How do I deal with the fact that I haven't paid that supplier? What about the fact that my lease sucks? And what about this key employee issue and my fill rates? And you know, how do I tactically deal with all of those things? but you are able to identify all those things, maybe 80% of them at least. Yeah, and it's, yeah. and it's funny because I think one of the, the biggest struggles, and, and I'm, I've seen this in other companies, and I'm sure you've come across it, is that they get so stuck in doing what they've always done. And there's a saying that I brought up in, I, I'm sure I said it in our last podcast together, and it was something that I heard from an old, uh, manager I had years ago and he always used to say hit me again it feels so good when you stop and th that was a situation we were in is that every time I, I challenged something or questioned something it was we always do it this way this is what we always do and it's like but it's not working so stop and it seems like such a, a simple simple concept um you know that you know a, a child could probably figure that one out but you yeah. know, it was just caught in this endless loop of making the same mistake over and over and over again. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that was uh, step one is we know where we want to be. We want to be. And again, when I talk about where you want to be with this company, I don't mean three years from now when everything's awesome. I'm talking about the turnaround phase, which call it one year. We're going to take a step back so we can retrench, have a solid foundation as a smaller company. And then we're going to move forward from there. So we define what we wanted our revenue to be, how our overheads would look, and what our margins ought to be. And that spits out to how your balance sheet should look as well, but that's a lesser issue. And as long as you're not losing money, so your cash flow stays stable throughout that. And then, you know, 
And then you start talking about, okay, well, why aren't we there? Why aren't our margins where we want them to be? Why aren't our overheads where we want them to be? So we start going through the problems. I didn't do this with you, but this is what I do in a turnaround, and you will recognize this from the discussions uh, and from the last year that we've done. So, you know, we talk about margins, uh, price increases. Okay. So, what are the obstacles? Why haven't we increased our prices? Well, our fill rate sucks. Okay. So, when we go to customers and we say we need to increase prices, we haven't done that in years. Uh, what are the customers going to say? Well, you don't even ship this product, anyways. Right. <laughs> so, we're not accepting that. Okay. And so that's the problem. Um, and I don't, I think it's a red herring, but every single business I've ever been in with this issue, they refuse to go ask for price increases while they have fill rates. So whatever. So there's a confidence problem. Customers don't believe us because we lie to them all the time. Right. So you can't go and say, here's what we're going to do to make your life better. Um, <laughs> that's not going to work. Um, and our Turnover within the stores is terrible because Roofers World has been a company that never heard of the word sell through, right? They like they got sell in, but they don't have sell through. So, uh, so what that means is if we if we have a listing, you know, we get into into Home Depot in whatever region, and we think, yeah, we made a sale, right? We're not thinking about is anybody going to shop at that Home Depot to buy our products and what mm -hmm. we do to support that. We don't treat Home Depot as a partner in distribution. We treat them, treat them as an end customer, which is just dead wrong. And so those were the obstacles to price increases. Anything else on the price increase side? Yeah, that, that pretty much sums it up is, yeah. you know, where we were coming from is how can we ask for a price increase when we haven't even shipped in the order they gave us six months ago? Right. Uh, reduce your direct material costs. These are our Chinese suppliers predominantly. Uh, we haven't paid them. We also lied to them. We're in litigation with one of them. Um, who, by the way, is also stealing our IP, which is the whole reason we saved this business was the IP. We agree on that, right? Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> right. Um, and we got a bunch of, um, <coughs> sorry, that's on the direct materials side. Uh, one of our other variable costs is we got a bunch of useless uh, sales agents, a network all over North America whose sole purpose is to suck 10% of sales that we're already making. Right. Right. Um, so there's a cost. And we think out of fear that we can't sell directly to Home Depot and merchandise directly to Home Depot, right? That's yeah. Okay. Uh, we got massive freight issues in terms of uh, hostile warehousing storage. Uh, so, so <laughs> remember that one? So they, they, the Chinese ship in <laughs> the goods and they don't release the, they don't release what are the bill of lading, whatever that piece of paper is that lets it clear. Yeah. Um, and until we pay them and we don't pay them because we don't want to pay them and we don't have the money. And so it sits there at some guy's warehouse and he starts charging you, you know, a thousand dollars a day or 5,000, like some crazy amount of number, like a ransom. which by the way, I, I learned is just made up. It's an oh. entirely made up number without any legal authority <laughs> whatsoever. And I proved my point. I'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. Um, so we got, we got storage charges. We got uh, uh, freight people we haven't paid. We got brokers we haven't paid. And on the overhead side, overheads always come down to people in real estate. We already discussed this, uh, but the reason, remember, we're diagnosing why we're not where we want to be 
and you would agree with me, it's because we have one key guy who's run the whole place and he refuses to make change, which was your point. Yeah, you had one key person occupying a chair. I wouldn't say he was running the place. He was that very chair that you're sitting in, I would say. No, I got another chair. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that, was, that was the source of the problem is that the, you know, it was eating away at the overhead. The person was, you know, essentially taking the chair, but not performing. Would you describe it as being worse than not performing? Because yes. he was not performing, but he was keeping up with the people from performing. He was, you know, this culture of lies starts at the top. Yeah. So there was no leadership there. And if there was, it was negative leadership. And he was hoarding information. Why didn't this company change this person years ago? The reason is because of a tremendous fear of what happens if he's not there. Yeah. And he did have he did have history with the company, but when you sort of dig down and really examine that history and find out what they were actually doing, they only appeared to be successful because of some of the people they surrounded themselves at the time. When those people were were removed, it was basically you you saw that person for what they really were. Which you always do. You always do, in my yeah. experience, but you can't prove that. I can't prove that to you in advance. I can't prove it to shareholders in advance. I can't prove it to a client in other situations in advance. It's just true. It's just yeah. uh, absolutely true. All right. So in summary, why are we not where we want to be? Culture of lies, self-dealing, theft, IP theft, right? Yeah. Um, Unpaid suppliers in China, lawsuits, excessive storage charges, unpaid freight brokers, unpaid useless sales agents, too much payroll, too much rent, and a huge key man exposure. Am I, yep. am I missing anything? So, <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> so it sounds daunting. That's the whole point, right? And It was, yeah. I had a, long a laundry list of problems, yeah. Yeah. So action. So that's step three of the turnaround is you focus on what's important. Um, and again, margin, overhead, last would be your revenue. You solve the problems that you came up with in the diagnosis. And as a precursor to that, as a premise, you have to be truthful. You yes. have to be truthful to yourself and you have to be truthful to your outside world, to your stakeholders. Not just yourself, but your, when I say yourself, I mean the leader, but the employees, you have to be truthful internally, you have to be truthful externally, you have to be truthful with your bank, with your customers, with your suppliers, right? So I pressed on you pretty hard as I recall to get a letter out to every customer we've ever heard of in the first week, right? Yeah. And what did it say? Well, we basically outlined that there was a change in leadership, that that person was no longer with the organization, and that I would be the main, their main right. point of contact, and basically outlining everything that we were doing to regain their trust. It actually, it, it, it communicated that we suck, <laughs> and we know it, and we've made changes. Yeah. Is yeah. that more or less what it said? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Right. I mean, and that comes back to, you know, the, the sort of the honesty and the integrity is just admitting. Exactly. 
and I don't know how many times I said that to customers is, yeah, we let you down 100%. Can't even argue yeah. with you. I, I wouldn't even want to try to argue with exactly. you on that point. But we made changes. Yes. Because what you cannot do is you cannot convince an external stakeholder that you just can't convince them that you're going to change your ways if you don't make any changes. This is coming back to your definition of insanity. Yep. Why are you going to be different now? Well, I don't know. Yeah. We're just going to try harder, right? <laughs> That's not going to work. work We've anymore. made a change. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> truthfulness, and that comes from the top. That comes from me and it comes from you, right? It throws from me through you um, uh, to everybody. And my sense is, I'm not there every day or rarely, but my sense is we have a pretty cohesive, um, honest group at this point. Oh, like our team right now, we're, we're a lean team. That was part of our turnaround yeah. process. We're a lean team, but we also, um, I'm the newest, as we said before, I'm the newest member of the team. Our other members have been here, I'm going to say 15 years plus. They've been yep. with the organization, so they, they know the history. And that was one of the things that I've relied on heavily is um, constantly discussing with that team, okay, what's the take on this customer? Or what's, what's with the situation? Or what have we done in the past? Or what are your thoughts and recommendations on doing this? Yeah. All right. So truthful from the top, more teamwork. Okay. Well, so let's get into our margin. That's number one. So... Uh, I was able to negotiate with uh, basically the two key suppliers. I was able to get run of one entirely uh, by pushing back hard. And it cost us, you know, at the end of the day, very little. I don't, don't know if we're really done with that yet, but I'll win that at the end of the day. Uh, so <laughs> no I'm doubt. counting that in the win category. And the other supplier who, you know, none of us have ever met him. Uh, he doesn't speak English. But he's acted with integrity. He's always shipped. Um, he's worked hard to accommodate with us, accommodate uh, us. And um, we've just doubled down on him and he's been great, right? And we were able to negotiate a price reduction from him for the extra volume. And so we accomplished our reduce our direct materials uh, objective, uh, objective with him. Um, uh, aggressively went after the storage company and and uh, we settled I didn't pay everything but we we paid some of it and in my gut it was too much but at the end of the day we got rid of that warehouse and we got our goods free we got a haircut on the amount owed and we're never using that warehouse company again so I'm calling that a tie I'm not calling it a win but we've moved on and we've never had the issue since um, that all that back debt with the freight. So we switched freight companies. We found cheaper deals. So we reduced our costs there and all that back debt we paid out at about 20 cents a dollar in an informal negotiation, maybe even a little less than 20 cents. So that's been a huge win. Um, we just terminated entirely the useless sales agents. You want to talk about that because that's a big fear. Uh, we're looking at buying a company right now and we got the exact same issue. We got this network of sales agents into these big box stores. You know, what, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, so they're, they're, the industry term is they're, they're, um, they're sales agents, I guess they are. And the whole take is that they go to, say, a Home Depot 
and they're talking about you know products from you know five ten different companies so smaller organizations can get the story is is essentially they get better representation because the store's looking at uh, companies with bigger um, lists of products available so it was always the thought that we have to have these sales agents we have to have these sales reps in, the, in these places and there's no way we can get into these organizations without them and there was just no talking common sense to a different approach that's where we were at the time what is a different approach just ignore it right uh, just it's, not, it's not a real fox so here sorry cut you off you know it was just it was just you know when you eliminated the sales reps it was just a case of communicating directly with these customers and understanding who our customers are and actually having contact information for these customers right let me ask you a question how could you tell customers that you suck and you made changes and you need to be better through a sales agent you can't exactly you right? just can't because they're not when you have that middle person in between, when you have that person Doesn't work. In, in a sense, it's not, they're not like they're your customer because we were never, I was told I was never allowed to speak to those customers. I had to go through the sales reps who wouldn't speak to me. So Precisely. you've got this so, layer in there. Right. So if things are ticking along nicely and you're a nice, simple company and you're making money and you don't want to be bothered talking to your customers, use a bunch of sales agents pay them the 10%. I got no problem with that. If you need to communicate a hard message and build a relationship and rebuild trust, you need to do that directly. That's the bottom line. And how do you do that? Well, I terminated the contracts, which may not be for everybody, might be a little harsh, that's just me. But what every business owner can do immediately is suspend every one of those contracts. You just say, I'm not terminating this, but you're on suspension. You got nothing to do. I don't want you talking to customers. You need to give me all your information. You're not entering any more commissions. And if you want to rebuild this, send me a business plan. Tell me what you're doing for me that makes me want to reinstate this contract. Okay, that's the right way to handle this. Definitely, yeah. Okay, and we might. There may come a day, a year from now, where Lucy and Scott sit down and say, you know what, in the US, let's talk about having a network in the Southwestern area of sales agents to attack these stores that we're not otherwise attacking right that could have a, that could be a conversation oh it definitely could be it's right. you know it's it's just not something that's on the radar right now because we're you know we are in contact with our customers our customers are thrilled there's no need for it right okay so after all that talking about our margins we got our costs lower uh, we've been direct contact with our customers. Tell me about price increases. Price increases. Uh, we did have a small price increase uh, for the new year, and there was no kickback from customers. But when you say small, it was not that small. There was a lot of equalization in there. Yeah, and that was it. Is it part of the past problems? Is that it? Just seemed that every new customer would be given a different price list. So we had you know, somebody might be paying $20 per product and somebody else might be paying $25 for the same product for no reason. Right, right. So we cleaned up a lot of that. And on average, we got a, we got a decent little price bump, which helped our margins. And we've set ourselves up for annual revisiting of prices. 
in my view. Yes. And you know, to think to think a year ago that we could have done and by the way, that was after six months. We did that more or less in December. Yeah. I think as I recall. So let's say we started the turnaround in June. I mean, yeah. it did not take as long to get to the point where we could we could start increasing prices. I did a turnaround last year in the food business. A lot of a lot of similar stories in a bigger company, but the exact same dynamics. And uh, after a year, we have on average, I think, 12% price increases across the board with big customers. Because just like roofers, you hadn't raised your prices in five years. Yeah. Because you're embarrassed, right? So there's a lot of catch up to do there, if you can forgive the pun uh, <laughs> on that. <laughs> All right, overheads. So that was margin overhead. We cut payroll to the bone, as you said. And we got to the point where we could grow a little bit, but not much without starting to hire at this point, which is right. where you want to be, right? Not only do you save on overhead, but it gives you an opportunity to change culture yeah. dramatically, right? Yeah. Um, I don't like our lease and I hate our space, but we <laughs> sucked that up and did not change because there was uh, 18 months left on the lease. And now this summer we get to decide what we're going to do about that without having to go through the legal process of bringing a lease, which is pretty tough. Um, and now the irony is we're actually doing so well, the, the, the space actually maybe makes some sense for us. Um, I don't know. So we'll have to revisit that. That's an un, undone item. Is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just leave that where it is for now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on the overhead side, we got rid of this. We took the risk on this key man. And even though we were unable to define in advance exactly what that meant to us. Fair to say? Definitely. Yeah. So I didn't say to you, Lucy, do you have this? Well, I may have said that to you, but like it was an unknown. We don't know what the last guy, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know who our customers are, right? No. We literally did not know. We knew the name. We knew Home Depot, right? We had a bunch of, like, yeah. a bunch of uh, store locators and distribution centers and that sort of like all the interchange was set up. But, but you know, who's the purchaser? We have no idea. We don't know his name. We don't know his email, we don't know his phone, right? So if we get rid of this key man, is he going to start calling them and bad mouthing us? Is he going to try and steal the business away from us with somebody else? Here's the decision making process though. Will anything ever happen positive with him there? Nope. What choice do you have? Yeah. Right. And so we got rid of him. All right. So those are, did I miss any of the positive changes we've made? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think okay. we get them all. So here's some numbers. 2019, we did about 83% of our 2018 revenue. So our target was in the high 70s to 80s. But half of 2019 was a write-off because this turnaround didn't start till June. Right? Now, mind yeah. you, we got the benefit of filling a bunch of back orders. So I gave us yeah. a little bump in revenue right away. But the bottom line is, in 2020, Excepting COVID, um, but maybe even with COVID, we're going to be right back to where we were more or less in 2018. So it's been a one year kind of step back and then we're right back to where we're top line. Contribution margin. Now our contribution margin was about 34% and now it's running at about the same level, 34%. So you say to yourself, well, that 
sucks. What about the price increase? What about the direct materials cost going down? But we're at about the same level, but we're carrying in there a brand new 9% tariff, mm-hmm. which we didn't have before. And because we're buying in US dollars and selling predominantly in, in Canadian dollars, we have some US sales, but you know the majority of our sales are Canadian still. The foreign exchange has gone way against us. And that's about a 10% hit on our contribution margin. If we were to normalize this out, take away tariffs and the FX difference, our contribution margin right now would be over 50% from 34. I mean, think about that change. I know you look at it and you say, shit, we're not making any progress on this. (laughs) Okay. But it's down to two new items. Could you imagine if we were at still at 30% or 34%? And we had the tariffs and the FX go against us? We wouldn't have survived. Well, no, no, that's it is. It wouldn't be hard to imagine because we would cease to exist. Yeah, right. So thank God we were able to absorb those hits. And those are two, not only are they identifiable, they're quantifiable, and we have an action plan to deal with both of those. Yeah. So, so. I'm, I'm happy, even though we're not seeing it, as far as the turnaround goes, I'm happy, like more. I'm ecstatic with the results. The hard work is done on the contribution margin. Um, overheads, overheads are down 37.5% over last year, and we haven't changed the lease. And those are pretty yeah. big numbers. And our EBITDA, our profitability as defined by EBITDA, my, my personal branding people assure me no one normal on the face of the earth knows what EBITDA means. So just our profit <laughs> as defined by that metric. Uh, right now we're running about break even, even with those hits. And if we had adjusted for tariffs in the foreign exchange, we'd be running about a 10% profitability margin, which is awesome. Yeah. That's a great number. This is in 12 months, 10 months. Those are the changes. And our fill rates are we ship our orders 100% within two to three business days. 100%. Fill rates should always be defined within a policy, and we're, we're 100%, right? How are our customers reacting to all this? Uh, I think they're in shock. <laughs> <laughs> because before, we would get a purchase order, and we'd say, okay, well, I have to let you know it's good, when it's going to ship. But now when I get a purchase order, I'm very confident in saying, okay, yeah, I know what's going on this week. I know what orders are going in. I know how much inventory I have. And, you know, given the day of the week, if it's later in the week, it may be, you know, thrown to a Monday. But pretty much if I get a purchase order, the warehouse is shipping it within two or three business days, which I don't think has really happened in this company for a very long time. Ever. The... What's the soft side of that? Are the purchasers more happy to talk to you? Are there creative conversations about, hey, maybe we could do this, maybe we could do that? Are you seeing any of that yet? Yeah, Yeah. well, there's one of our customers that uh, they wouldn't list us in their catalog. We were only selling to the individual store, which is more labor intensive. They then, when we met with them in Dallas in February, they took us on and listed them in their catalog. So that you know, opens immediately, up, uh, immediately. It was like a, it was like a three yeah. minute conversation. I was there. Yeah. There was a lot of work to leading up to it. 
Really? You have to do work in advance of that? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot of conversations. And then there's another con uh, customer that I met with uh, in December when I was in, I happened to be in Las Vegas for a vacation, but I called them up saying, hey, I'm going to pop by. And uh, they started to see our turnaround. They started to see some of the positive things we'd implemented, but they were still a little bit skeptical. Uh, they'd you know, been bitten twice before, but uh, you know, they were the ones suggesting to us different ways that they could help us expand our distribution in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's what happens. Like it, you think, well, I have to have, I have to have industry acceptable or hundred percent fill rates. Right. I mean, every business thinks that and they strive to get there and the troubled ones don't get there, but you want, you want to fix that because you want to have the confidence to ask for price increases. You want to stop the heat on you for not delivering your, but what you don't realize is the exponential add on value of doing that. And even like, it even blows me away every time, you know, I was at this other company and they had terrible fill rates and you know, in a year we went to hundred percent fill rates and, and uh, you know, without doing any sales, like zero sales revenue went up 10% just because we're filling orders. You yeah, know, you fill an order, they send another order. And right? that's, that's it. As a, as a seasonal business, you know, we sort of focus on each customer bringing us about three turns a year. And if you're not getting their first shipment of the season until well into that season, you're only going to get one more turn of orders. But if you're shipping to them or preloading them that we did this year, is that we made sure that all of our customers had basically full shelves for early on in the season so that you know obviously so you're gonna this, get the extra turn we're going to get the extra turn yeah. definitely because they they have the product to sell at the beginning of the season whereas before they were getting it mid or halfway through the season right same on the supplier side right like our our main chinese supplier for example just proactively stepped up with some covid help for us Oh yeah, 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 and that's it. Is um, that you know, if you're if you're if you have that positive relationship, and they can see, they I mean, they how can they not see the changes that we've made? Um, yeah. You know, we've got regular shipments coming in. They're being paid when they're supposed to be paid. There's lots of communication. They know we've made it. They know we've made a change. Yeah. So I would say that when we started this endeavor, or when you spent your first eighteen months there. That was an example of negative momentum. Yes. This is an example of positive momentum because I think we continue to have great IP. We're making money. Our customers are happy. Uh, I'm not saying we have no challenges, but by any definition of a turnaround, this has been a tremendous success thus far. Um, and now we can start thinking about more interesting things from a business perspective. Um, acquisitions, right? Uh, new markets. Uh, you can talk for a second in a second about the direct to consumer model that we're working on. So, you know, when you get stable and you've done your turnaround, now things open up for you. So tell me about this feeling. We go back to this feeling of disorientation and stress and like, how is it different now from what it was? Can you put words to that or is that too hard to do? Well, it's, it's, you know, the best description is it's, you know, a change of night and day. I mean, we were, it was 
constant doom and gloom and no nobody wanted to be here um i don't i don't think many of us slept just out of the pure stress of everything and now it's you know we're talking about doing all of these different and interesting things and moving forward in a way with our with a company that um was just never possible before Um, so problems for 2020, we're going to, we have to deal with the tariff situation and the FX situation. Um, and so, you know, there's only two options for the tariff deal is one is you push on your supplier in China to deal with that in pricing. So in other words, you get a price reduction or you onshore your things. Like those are your only two, two yeah. prices. We can't, we can't suck up 9% uh, forever on this. So there's some combination of that. Uh, foreign exchange is a little bit of the same in the sense that we could buy more in Canadian dollars since we sell in Canadian dollars. Yeah. Or we could sell more in US dollars since we buy in US dollars, which, you know, we, we have a pretty dominant position in the Canadian marketplace. Our real growth is in the US. So, you know, this is an issue that we could deal with uh, by having flexibility in the FX, the, the foreign currency side of our supply chain, what we're buying in, and also by pushing to sell more in US dollars, right? So those yeah. are those are manageable problems that we have a plan for. Obviously 2020, right now in the micro, we're dealing with uh, the COVID. What are we running right now? About half of what we expected? I would say we're like sales-wise, we're about 60% yeah. of forecast. 60%? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And so, and that's gonna, it's not going to go from 60 to 100 overnight, right? It's going to go, it's going to grow up slowly. We are an essential service. Um, we decided not to let anybody go. Um, so we've kept operating uh, and we're doing so well. We were even able to pay out our, our bonuses from 19 during COVID. And so yeah. that uh, hopefully adds some confidence to the, to the guys back there that everything's going well. Um, now, one thing I love is what did you get to do with your self-isolation time? <laughs> you mean the direct-to-consumer side of things? I do. I do. <laughs> you built a whole new business model for us while you were hanging out I, at home. I did. Uh, what I've been working on the last couple of weeks is I built our uh, Shopify store. Um, yeah but not specifically a storefront that sells all of our products. Initially, we're starting off with just promoting the ladder mount and I've created the Shopify store as more of a sales funnel so that the customers can only go there and buy the one product. And then we're directing them there with uh, social media. Specifically, we're using Instagram. And we went live. Today. At noon, at noon today. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was very nervous. I was very yeah. nervous just tapping my fingers with, and nervous, excited, because it's, yeah. it's really something new. I mean, we've been looking at uh, setting up an Amazon storefront, which up until all of our lockdowns, you know, everyone was saying Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. But what people didn't realize is that with the lockdown, Amazon shut down receiving a lot of products that they didn't deem essential so that they could only focus on providing customers with essential products. So I really question a lot of these people that claim to be multimillionaires for selling on Amazon. If Amazon's not taking your product, 
then your business has essentially disappeared overnight. The advantage that we have with a Shopify store is that we own the customer. Amazon, when you're dealing with Amazon, they own the customer, you're at their mercy. With our own storefront, we own our customers, we have our contact information for those customers, and we are directly responsible for the fulfillment of every single order. And it serves the adult, so it, it, it broadens our market outside of just roofing, because that ladder mount behind you, every single person that owns a ladder and a gutter needs to own that product. Like every single homeowner, right? You're putting up your Christmas lights, you're cleaning out your gutter, the kids' uh, frisbees on the roof, right? You need to own that product. Um, and it's not very expensive, so you ought to own it. And so it, you know, but are you gonna walk into Home Depot, into the roofing contractor side to think about that? Probably not. So this broadens our market, but it has the double benefit of driving sell-through for the Home Depots if I continue to pick on that particular customer because I love them. Uh, because we're not selling harness mounts and anchors and other things on the, correct? On Shopify? Correct, it's, it's just, right. the, just the ladder mount. Right, so creating this media that drives retail uh, non-roofers to this site, um, but also gives us direct access to these customers so we can market and drive sell-through. Because otherwise, how do we get sell-through and increase the turnover uh, for, our, for our distribution partners, right? So that's the double benefit of that. And, and there's a triple benefit. What we wanna do is start adding a bunch more value to our direct customers or to our end users. That's a better way to put that to the roofing contractor and to the homeowner uh, through content um, and give you a chance to explore your, uh, your love of the Crush It book. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and that's it is that, you know, when you really, the only marketing that's been done around the ladder mount is your point of display box that you would find in a Home Depot. Yeah. But there's also a lot of retail outlets that don't have the floor space to have the box sitting there. So unless the customer comes along and picks it up and sort of thinks what it is, they're not really gonna know what this product is for. And uh, you really need to have that marketing, that advertising behind it. And the, the easiest way to commun communicate with people now is obviously through social media. And that's the route we decided to take. All right, we're heading towards the end of our time here. I know I directed a lot of this. Um, what about this process did we not touch on that you wanted to talk about, number one? And Well, let, let's just start there. About the turnaround process? Yeah. The, I would say the, the main thing that, you know, that's important through the whole turnaround process is communication. And that's the communication that we have with you. It's the communication that we have within the team here. And it's the communication that we have with our customers. That's been critical. Uh, it's something that never existed before. And, and that sort of led to our problems. But constantly, you know, between uh, conference calls and using uh, group chats to communicate information, you know, I would say you pretty much know what we're doing day by day. And it's not, it's not that you're coming from a micromanagement point of view, it's that we enjoy what we're doing. We love what we're doing. If something is going really well, you know, 
there's something positive that came out of some marking that we did and you know it went in the group chat right away so it's yep. just that you know that communication is, is it helps drives that momentum and i think the other the other thing that plays into momentum as well is is mindset is that once we decided that we you know we charted our course we said that this is what we're going to do it's keeping that positive mindset you know even on those bad days when you're dealing with you know when suddenly a problem crops up it's knowing hey look look at where we were look at where we are we know where we're going this is you know we can see those possibilities and it's always keeping that positive mindset in whatever we're doing and in that place i think that plays hand in hand with the the, the momentum exactly momentum like you just in your soul you know when you're winning and you know when you're losing and okay. that's it is that every little win is we we so cheer and we celebrate it because we never had them before yeah good for you um we'll follow up and do this uh, again maybe we won't threaten the quarterly because that doesn't work but uh and besides i think you know the bulk of the turnaround now we're going to talk about positive things uh and we're going to talk about how we deal with our challenges in 2020 and the new things that we've done. So maybe about six months, we'll do a half year check-in. That sound fair? Definitely, yeah. How do people find Roofers World and Lucy? Uh, you can find us, our main uh, company website is roofersworld.com. If you want to find out more about the ladder mount, you can find that on uh, our store, roofersworldstore.com. You can find us on Instagram, again, roofersworld. And uh, if you're looking at connecting with me, you can always find me on Insta on uh, LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, perfect. Under Lucy Quigley. Lucy and, Quigley. And uh, I'll reinforce that in the notes and in the intro I do for this. Uh, anything else? Any parting? Cheers. Cheers again. <laughs> thank you so much, Lucy, for doing this. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. You guys, thank you for listening uh, to Martinis with Scott. It's a show about winning momentum in business and in life uh, we're on youtube apple podcast spotify please subscribe we'll talk to you all later